Welcome to Let's Get Unraveled, a place where artists from all walks of life come to share their unabridged stories and speak openly and candidly about their creative journeys. We're so happy you're here. Hi, everybody. I'm Co Hodges, co-founder and lead instructor at Unraveled Academy. And today I have a very special guest, Ansley Van Epps, who is a beautiful artist, advocate, an all-around good human who is going to share with us her infertility to motherhood journey. So thank you, honey, for being here today. Oh, of course. So let's dig right in. I want to know a little bit first um, about your background as an artist. So can you tell our listeners where you are located in the world and what work you primarily do? Um, So I am located in Orlando, Florida, and I am a singer-dancer at um, Universal Studios uh, Orlando and at Disney World. And that is my full-time job. And on the side, I am a newborn photographer. You're the coolest. That's so awesome. I know I was watching some of like your videos on Instagram. I was like, how is she so magical? (laughs) It's so cool. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the very beginnings of when you and your man met and uh, and how that transitioned into your motherhood journey. Okay. uh, Gosh, my husband and I met in 2000 and... 12, I think, um, at Epcot actually, uh, at Disney world. (laughs) Yeah. We were set up by some friends and at first I was kind of like not into it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he's a military man. So like, and I, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm moving to Fayetteville, North Carolina soon. And so I was like, I'm not really looking for a relationship that's going to be long distance. Turns out, I was, <laughs> uh, we ended up dating long distance for two years. Oh, wow. Um, That's a long time for long distance. Damn. It is. Luckily we, um, like every weekend that was a long weekend or we would, I would fly to him or he would come to me or we would meet in Savannah cause he's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and Savannah was kind of halfway for us. So we would meet up and, uh, our relationship kind of grew really organically. And like, we had these great long talks and we would, we connected like emotionally. Um, and it was really nice to have that. And I, I hadn't been in a relationship like that before. And, you know, after two years, I was like, yep, this is the man <laughs> I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Right. Amazing. Oh my gosh. So then how, I'm sure you guys had conversations about children and what your, what your wishes were for your life. How did that uh, come about? What did you guys talk about? about Oh, (laughs) so when I met my husband, I was 27 years old, I think 28 years old. And I had been in a three year relationship where the guy had turned around and said, I never want to get married. I never want to have kids. So my husband always makes fun of me because on our, on our like fourth or fifth date, I said to him, if you don't ever want to have kids, then we shouldn't date anymore. (laughs) I just know what though. That's badass. Like, I feel like that's a necessary conversation to have. So you're not wasting anybody's time, you know? And I, and he, he laughed at me and he was like, you know, I never really like thought about it, but he was like, yeah, I'd want kids in the future. It's not out of the question. Um, and he's like, but I like that you just went ahead and said that, that that that's what you're looking for. And I was like, yeah. So he, he was totally on board with it. I thought he was going to be like, Oh my God, you're crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> The best kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Amazing. So then how far into your relationship did you guys start trying? 
So we started trying <clears throat> about two years after we were married in 2014. So 2016, he, he was deployed um, pretty much our entire first year of marriage. So in 2015, um, and I didn't want to start a family right away when he got back from his deployment because I wanted to spend time with my husband. Right. So we traveled a lot. We went to Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then um, around our two-year anniversary, Maybe a little bit before that, I was like, do you want to start trying? And he was like, yeah, let's start trying. Um, and we were lucky enough to get pregnant like three months after we started trying the first time. That's amazing. Okay. So tell me the story from that moment to where you currently are. And I'm going to let you tell, tell the long story because I think everybody needs to hear it. Um, and for everybody listening, this badass chick is in the hospital right now. <laughs> she's still doing this interview, which I'm so impressed by her. And I was saying before we even started, I was like, I think you're a champion. I'm just like enamored by your strength. Um, she's in the hospital with preeclampsia with her babies on board and she's doing it. So start with that and tell us how you got all the way where you are now. Okay. So, um, when we first got pregnant, we got pregnant in October of 2016. I had actually just finished a run of West Side Story in Orlando, and um, we I took a test. It was negative. Um, and I was like, okay, not a problem. It was about three months after we started trying, and then I took another test like three days later because I was still late, and it was positive. Two weeks after that, my husband got a job offer in New York City, um, and so our lives kind of were like, a little crazy. Um, so in December we did our eight week ultrasound and they said that they had seen a little bit extra amniotic fluid, but they couldn't really tell what it was. Um, and after that they kind of just pushed us on our way, didn't put us on high risk or anything. And, um, then we did, uh, we moved to Atlanta for three months for my husband's job and, on our 18 week appointment, we did a, our ultrasound, which is supposed to be our anatomy scan, which is when they measure everything and see how everything's growing. And they said that they found that his kidneys were a little too big. So they pushed us to a specialist the very next day. And unfortunately that specialist told us that we had a condition called Meckel-Gruber syndrome which is a, um, it makes your kidneys 20 times the size that they should be. Your organs are full of cysts and polyps. Half of his skull was missing and his brain was leaking into the amniotic sac. And the fluid in the amniotic sac was toxic. Um, So unfortunately, this part is a little controversial. They didn't really give us a choice. They said, if you don't terminate your pregnancy, you could die. Your baby is 100% going to die. It's, it's 100% fatal disease. And so we didn't really have a, yes, we had a choice, but no, I hear you. They kind of made it seem like we didn't have a choice. Um, and we terminated at, 19 weeks and six days, I think. Uh, cause in Atlanta, you can't terminate after 20 weeks. Right. 
And it was the worst day of my life. And it was very hard. But we were living with my parents uh, at the time, and they were extremely supportive. Um, And my family really helped me get through that. Um, And after that, we moved to New York City for nine months for my husband's job. And we started trying again. And it we could not get pregnant again because they gave us a 75% chance of having a healthy baby with no Michael Gruber. Um, and we wanted to, to try that way again. And, um, I didn't want to do IVF and I didn't want to go through all the testing. I wanted to do it naturally. And unfortunately it just, it was not happening. So so is that when you started considering IVF? Yes. So after a year, so we had tried for a while, I would say about, yeah, probably around a year because we moved back to Orlando in January and my husband said, well, you know, let's go talk to this, um, infertility specialist and just get, just, just do a consult. And so we did. And, um, she, she was pretty much like, you guys are young, you have, um, you're healthy. Uh, the, the genetic disease only affects, you know, one in four eggs. So we have a feeling that you guys would get plenty of embryos. They're going to send them off for genetic testing. So we decided to do a round of IVF thinking that, um, okay, we'll do one round. We'll get maybe four or five eggs from it. And we'll go from there. We only wanted three children, two or three children. So we did what you call PGD testing, which is the single cell genetic testing. Um, so we had to send our eggs. We, we did our first retrieval. We sent our eggs to a clinic that, um, would test them and they came back and they were all abnormal and we couldn't use any of them. So our first round of IVF didn't come out with anything. And that was really difficult. Um, And we did that first round in June of 2018. And then we did a second round in July, no, of August of 2018. And from that round, we got one embryo. And unfortunately, that embryo is a carrier of the genetic disease. So we could have transferred that embryo, but they had said, let's try one more time just to be safe. So in October of 2018, we did a third round, which came out with three genetically perfect embryos. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So... So that was in October, you're saying. Yes. And so did you did you go through and have the implant and what happened then? Yeah, so I think a lot of people don't really understand that when you do IVF, it's um it's a long process. Yeah. Um you can do like um IVF straight into transfer, 
But for us, because we were doing the um, PGD testing, we had to send our embryos out to be tested. And so they would come back two months or two weeks later with the results. Um, So we couldn't do a fresh transfer. A fresh transfer being they take the embryo out, um, they put the sperm in, or they take the eggs out, they put the sperm in, it makes an embryo, and they watch it grow for five days. And they say, oh, that's a good one. We'll transfer that on day five. Mine were um, tested, sent back, frozen, and then I had to go through um, what they call, I think it's a, uh, there's like two different, I can't remember the name of it, but they had to go up in there and just make sure that there was no scar tissue. Sure. Yeah. So I did that on December 26th of 2018. Mm -hmm. So after Christmas, damn. Yeah. Yeah. So they just, they knock me out and then they just kind of make sure that everything is prepped mm-hmm. correctly. And then, um, I had to go through another cycle. Uh, so in February or actually the end of January, they started prepping me for, um, transfer, but my lining wasn't getting thick enough. So what should have taken like a week took like three weeks for me to prep and you do the pyo shots, which is progesterone oil shots in your butt. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel good. Gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you take all these medicines to try and get your body ready. So it won't, um, kick the embryo out of your body. So it doesn't think it's a foreign object. So finally, um, in February we transferred, um, a genetically tested perfect embryo. And I knew that it had worked day six. (laughs) And, um, when they called me with my beta numbers on day 11, um, I knew it was twins. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so incredible. Oh my gosh. You're going to make me cry. Um, (laughs) Holy shit. Okay. So I've had lots of friends, lots and lots of girlfriends, uh, go through the process, right? Um, I've heard all different stories. Um, and it really is such an undertaking and, and an endeavor it emotionally, financially, um, affects relationships. It affects your, changes your whole life. Um, so what would you say, let's talk about relationships. Let's do that. And I don't mean just with your husband, although I think that's really important to talk about, um, about how stuff shifts as a couple when you're going through something this intense. Um, but even relationships with friends and family and and all of it, how has this process changed, uh, your relationships? Um, you know, I think it's made me realize that, Hold on. Real, so, real, okay, let me start with my husband. Yeah. <laughs> my relationship with my husband has always been a, a, a very strong relationship. And if anything was going to break it, I think it would be this. Yeah. Um, Fair and, point. <laughs> and I think, I think with men, especially with the death of our, our baby boy, um, they just deal with things a little differently than women do. I never saw him get upset over the loss of our son and it made me a little angry because I, I didn't think he cared that much. And we had a, a sit down talk about it. And he said, 
I go into the closet and cry and I cry in the shower because I thought that if, if you didn't see me cry, you would think that I was strong for you. He didn't want to show me his emotion because he wanted to be strong for me. Um, and, you know, after we had talked about it, and we're very open and we talk about everything, um, he realized that he, I just needed him to be there for me. Um, I didn't need him to be strong for me. I didn't need him to play the hero or, um, you know, try and pretend that it didn't happen or, you know, I just wanted him to be by my side and it was hard and getting over depression is, is hard as well. And I think for someone who is watching someone go through depression, they don't realize how difficult it is sometimes. Like he didn't understand why I couldn't just get out of bed in the morning or why it was difficult for me to even just like go outside. He couldn't, he, he was having trouble with that aspect of, of dealing with my grief. And, um, and after we, we would sit down and talk about it and he, he kind of understood more, the more we talked about it, the more our relationship got stronger and he was more supportive and he, he's always been supportive and he's always been amazing, but you know, some, sometimes they just don't get it. Um, or at least my husband didn't. And no, I think that's fair. I do. I think that's fair as a mother and, and haven't had been married before. Um, it, it's impossible for someone who, who hasn't had the physical impact of carrying a child or even losing a child. Um, it's different. It's just going to be different and it's not going to, um, be processed the same. So it, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and through the IVF process, he has just, he's been great. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him give me a shot because he just seemed to, uh, want to enjoy it. So, so <laughs> <laughs> the look on nice. his face, the very first shot I had to take just looked like he was like, this is going to be fun. Like, and I'm uh, like, I was like no, no, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Uh, I got this man. <laughs> yeah. It ended up being a better thing that I, I know a lot of my friends who've gone through infertility or IVF, they have their husbands give them their shots. Um, but because I was working, um, that wasn't always the case. Like I had to give myself my own shot so many times. Um, and he's not good at them. <laughs> we have to find out. So, um, yeah, but so my relationships with my friends have gotten, I think I have created some relationships with people that I had worked with, but wasn't really close to. Um, and then after I was very open about my loss with our first son and then very open about our infertility, we've become closer because people are like, I went through this and I didn't talk to anybody about it. And I just closed off and, and I didn't say anything. And, and so I'm like, well, you know, let's go have coffee and let's talk about it. And yeah. that kind of became, it kind of became more of a, a support system and one of one of my friends actually she's now one of my closest friends we ended up starting a infertility support group for Orlando um on Facebook just so that people could kind of have an idea of what what to do where to go who to talk to because when you start this journey you have no clue what you're in for and right. it's so scary and it's uh is so 
it's such a long process and there's so much jargon that you don't know. And there's so much money going into it and you want to make sure you're choosing the right doctor. And Mm -hmm. it's so scary. And I've, I've actually made some great friends from the Facebook group that we created. Um, one of my friends just had her twins, um, at the hospital that I'm at right now. And I went up to go see her and, um, and we've become really good friends just from the Facebook group. So I've met a lot of new people and, um, people that I've worked with for years that I didn't even know had had a miscarriage or had, had a loss. Um, and it's become, I don't, I don't want to say that's the basis of our relationship, but it's made us stronger as, as we've grown into mothers. Absolutely. Hell yes. How could it not? And I, I will tell you, so I'm an ER nurse. Uh, I moonlight as an ER nurse, let's just oh. say. Um, <laughs> so I see a lot of loss and I see a lot of miscarriages almost to the point where it, it's so commonplace. I even watch, you know, and, and our, my emergency room doctors are fabulous people, but it's so common that you almost forget that this is someone's like whole life and like what they're going through is really intense. Right. Cause it's just so commonplace. And I feel like, um, more women than not have had a miscarriage. Um, and then you go up a step further. And I think that what you have shared is amazing because so many women have had later in pregnancy or second trimester losses that they don't talk about at all. And I, and I think it's interesting that you talked about like the controversial aspect of terminating a pregnancy and yeah, that's a huge thing. I just had lunch uh, the other day with a girlfriend who literally went across the country to have multiple fetal surgeries and then wound up terminating anyways. And she said there's controversy involved there. And and, and I, I think that it's it's so sad that people have an opinion about something they've never experienced because that shouldn't be the case. Right. But I really commend you for, for stepping out into the limelight because you haven't been like, this is what happened to us. And it was really shitty and it was really hard. And here's how it feels. And people are probably just coming to you out of the woodworks with, with their stories. Yes. And when it comes to Michael Gruber, it's, it, it really is a life or death situation. And, um, my parents are very Christian conservative. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you never think that you're going to go through something like this. And they were so supportive of, of our choice. Um, and you really don't know what you would do until you're, placed in that situation. And the shitty part is we're leaving the clinic that day. And there's like six men down on the corner, like protesting as I'm crying my eyes out, you know, leaving the clinic. They don't know what you're going through. And it's a choice that nobody wants to make. You know, we wanted, we wanted this baby. We wanted, we wanted him and we wanted to be his parents. And, and unfortunately it was just not he was not compatible with life and right. Right. And even if a quote unquote miracle could happen, what quality of life would he had? And that's what the medical professionals are always thinking in the back of their mind, what quality of life or, and, and even if it sounds really dire, you know, they're trying to give you the truth, you know, and, and what this could look like if a miracle happened. And, and, and I get it. I, there's all kinds, I get it controversial topic. <laughs> we yeah. won't go too far into that, but to those <laughs> men standing on the corner who could never possibly know, never know, can't experience uh-huh. this. Right. And they need to just knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Knock it off. 
Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the financial impact, obviously, cause like going through infertility and treatments and IUI and IVF and all this stuff is very costly. And a lot of it isn't covered by insurance. So can you talk briefly about the financial impact and how that affects so many people? Oh my goodness. So yes, our first round of IVF, um, so it's my husband's grandparents all passed away within the same year of each other, unfortunately. Um, however, we were gifted. Uh, we, um, I guess we had some money coming, come to us from that. Sure. Unfortunately, we used that money for our first round of IVF. Our first round failed. So we essentially were like, okay, we don't have any, we can't do anymore that. And that was that. Um, and then my parents had come and said, we know how important this is to you. We will lend you the money to, to do this. So we were very fortunate enough that our parents, um, could help us get to the, um, to the end product of actually getting an embryo. And, um, I think that me working at Universal and my husband being in the military, we don't make a ton of money and the military does not cover IVF or did not cover IVF in any way um, in 2018. I think that that policy has changed now. They, they cover it a little bit more. Um, they covered some of our fertility drugs, but not all, but the most expensive one, which was like, four thousand dollars and you needed four things of it they did not cover and then yeah and then um they covered all all of our office visits um so it's really it's really hard when you look over this and you're and you're saying okay we were our parents lent us this money and we have to pay it back over a period of time and it's so much money. I think we spent almost a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars trying to get pregnant with, um, well, just trying to get pregnant. And, um, and a lot of, a lot of people in our fertility group, um, go to NY, um, there's a fertility clinic in New York that does it for very, for inexpensively. But, um, but you have to fly there and then you have to get your hotel room and you have to meet with the doctors. And it, to me, that just kind of seems so out of the way and, and just makes it harder. And a lot, of, I, I've even, I follow a girl on Instagram who goes to Greece to get her fertility. Um, wow. Her, yeah. Like people will go to Europe and it's cheaper in Europe. Um, they do the NYC clinic. Um, it, they will do anything to have a child literally and the money they will, they will find a way. Um, you, you find a way we were very fortunate that our parents lent us the money. Um, but the people who are not so fortunate will still try and do whatever it takes to get to the, to having a family. And, um, there, there are different ways and you can do it, but, you know, unfortunately it is so expensive and, and I, it just breaks my heart that more, uh, 
insurance companies don't cover it because one in eight couples go through infertility. One in eight couples, that's huge numbers. And they don't cover it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a huge number, huge volume. In fact, like you're at a dinner party, you're going to meet somebody who's gone through it. You know, Um, the financial impact. I mean, okay, so a normal marriage. (laughs) Marriage is hard, right? Normal marriage. The number one fight couples have and split up over is money, right? I can't even imagine tossing in this humongous impact into the mix and saying, deal with this now. You're newly married. You just got out of your honeymoon phase and now, now deal with this. Go ahead and knock your socks off. Like how hard and how amazing for those that get through it and are stronger on the other side. Right. Yes. Ugh. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Then, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying some couples don't get through it and that that's heartbreaking. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I can only imagine I'm, I'm divorced and I can't even imagine. Um, you know, we went through some tough stuff the first year of my son's life. Um, I couldn't even imagine. And again, I commend you for, for everything that you guys have been through. Um, and, and you know, you weren't expecting it. Nobody goes and is like, Oh, let's get married and have kids. And this is what we're going to get dealt. You know, it's, um, such a major obstacle for, yeah. for young couples. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this journey has changed and impacted you as an artist. So what do you think have, has been like the biggest takeaways and how it's changed your artistic life? Um, it, honestly, it's going through infertility, like as a dancer singer is, um, a lot different than going through it as a photographer mm-hmm. because I was doing newborns. I, I still do newborns. Um, a lot of people were like, you know, you should really just not do newborns for a while because it's really, it's, I bet it's hard for you. But for me, it was, it was like therapeutic, I guess. Um, I, I wanted to photograph the newborns and I wanted to, um, to be around them. And I love be, I want a baby so badly. I love babies. And when people would have babies, I know that some people going through infertility are like, I can't, be around babies. And I'm like, no, give me all your babies. Um, yeah, I think for me, it was like, I I liked photographing the babies and being around the babies because it, it, to me, it was where I was going to be. I don't think for me, I never thought we were never going to have kids, whether we got there through IVF or adoption, we were going to have a baby. Um, and so when I was photographing these babies, it, it really just, um, made me so happy to be around them and photographing newborns is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think people realize that sometimes when they go into the newborn business and if you're not patient and if you're not, um, and you know, you might have to sit there for an hour sometimes just waiting for the baby to finish eating and, to me, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I have another friend who wanted to get into newborns, but she's like, I just don't have the patience for it. And I'm like, I have the patience. I will sit with that newborn all day long because that is a, you know, a miracle. And we're going to get this baby photographed. And, and, um, and I, I, it just felt therapeutic for me. I, you know, and as a dancer singer, um, going through IVF, 
and then having to go like giving myself a shot, growing my <laughs> ovaries from the size of grapes to the size of grapefruits. Right. Uh, and then dancing on stage in 100 degree heat um, was what I had to do because that's my job. And it was so hard and uncomfortable, but it really does make you realize like as a dancer singer, you're never going to make like millions of dollars and you do it because you love it. And, you know, I was hurting most of 2018 and I still, I did it every day because I love I love dancing. I love singing. I love making kids smile and it's so much fun to do. And so, you know, some days I did have to call out of work because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, um, doing IVF is, is very difficult. And if you could lay on a couch all day while you were doing it, that would that would be so much nicer. But you gotta go to work. So. That would be ideal, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Oh man, gosh, women are so resilient. Blows my freaking mind. Um, <laughs> so let's talk. I want you to give some advice uh, to different people. So we'll start with the spouses of women who are going through either a loss or infertility in general, what advice would you give to the spouses? Oh, you know, I think every couple is different. Um, and so the advice is going to be different from one person to the next, but always just being there for your spouse uh, especially for a loss, it's easy to kind of shut yourself away when you, when you have a loss and it's easy to close doors and it's easy to just hibernate until you think you feel better. And for the spouse, they just, it, sometimes they don't know what to do. And I think trying to not let your spouse close those doors on you and being there and just you know, trying to get them out of the house for a walk or even just trying to talk. I know sometimes it can be hard to just talk to your spouse when they're going through a loss because you don't want to talk about it. But I think that my husband did a good job of getting me out of the house. Um, he took me to dinner one night, um, like a really nice restaurant. Um, whenever it was a, a time that he thought that I would be sad, like Halloween, he took me to a show because I, he knew I was going to be sad, um, with trick or treaters coming around. And he was right. Like it's, it's hard to watch these milestones go by and you think, Oh, my son would have been six months old at this point, or my son would have been a year old, or my son would have been 18 months old. Um, and just kind of just being there to let it happen. Like, and when you're going through IVF, um, you become a different person. My husband and I don't fight very often. I threw a can of markers at his head. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure he deserved it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it gets real. 
it, yeah, and you be, you literally become a different person because you're on so many hormones and you're and yeah. like you're 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 crazy and and instead of like yelling back at me being like why did you do that? He's just like, "Hey, let's clean this up and whatever you need to do to feel better, you go do it." Like he's he's so good at keeping me calm and like sometimes you know you want to fight back. And I think that you have to remember that like when you're going through this time and your, your spouse is acting crazy because they're on so many hormones, um, it, that it's, it's not the time to fight back. You got to swallow your pride and you just got to say, I'm here for you. What, you know, let's talk it out or you go do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better. Um, <laughs> you become, you literally become a crazy person. Like you, you become a different person. Uh, and it, it's hard to, it, 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 I look back at it and I'm like, why did I even throw markers at his head? I don't know. I don't know. But. <laughs> but, but I think that's such a good and very common thing, by the way, because even if it's, you know, anything, pregnancy, anything, hormone, it changes you temporarily, you know, and motherhood changes you kind of forever. And I think a lot of men in particular, um, look at their wives or partners and are like, Oh, (laughs) this is different. You know, uh, is she coming back? Like, (laughs) and (laughs) I think embracing the change and knowing that like, that's still the person that you fall in love with and the one you want to do all this crazy shit with, you know, she's in there, but she's really, really a champion and she's dealing with some heavy stuff. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Marcus. That's so funny. Um, okay. What advice would you give to future mothers who are currently in the trenches of infertility or really struggling? Um, my advice that I would always give myself was like, I'm not going to give up on this. Um, however, I know that that's not the best advice. Um, because some people just, they don't have the financial ability to, to not give up. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't have the, they financially like can't continue. Um, unfortunately that are that unfortunately that, that that is what is happening. But, um, I, I honestly, I think it's, it's like, don't lose yourself in the infertility game. Like it, it, it it can become so depressing and so emotionally, uh, draining and it, it can, it can suck the life out of you. And I think that you have to remember that you are still you and that a child, um, will, I, that's something that you want so badly. Um, but you, you don't want to cut yourself off from your friends. You don't want to cut yourself off from the rest of the world. And I, I know, cause I have done this before, to going to baby showers is hard and seeing all your friends get pregnant is hard, but find the group of friends that maybe aren't having children at the moment and hang out with them and go do things to get you out of the house and to, and to live your life, go on like a little, a little staycation. Um, but not to really, not to get so inside you that you can't, be the person that you were before all this happened. And I think that's really hard sometimes to see, especially when you're in it. Um, I think the, the, the best thing that I did for myself was like, I just continued to live my life. I went to work. Um, I was 
working out and I was doing all the things that I love to do, but I, you know, I would see my friend's baby and I would just start crying after I left her house. But I, I didn't want to not be there for her when she had her baby. Uh, cause I would want her to be there for me when I had mine. So it, it's really hard to get lost and to go down that dark hole. Um, so my advice would be just really try and fight that. And it's a battle. It's, it's a struggle every day is when you wake up and you get that negative line on that pregnancy test mm-hmm. and you, you just got to keep, keep going. Seriously. No, I think that there, and there's some advice there too, for the friends of those going through it, because when I was having my second, uh, I was pregnant with my second child and we were going to do a gender reveal party and my really close friend uh, from the hospital, she and her husband had had multiple losses at this point. They had, right before our party, had another one, another oh. like late miscarriage. And um, she was such a, she is such a beautiful soul. She had made the box with the balloons in it for me. We were going to lift the box and the balloons were going to come out. We would find out. She had made that for me. She was going to be there. And then last minute, she's just like, I can't, I cannot do this. And I was like, dude, go get a drink. Yeah. And, but she was the most amazing person. And she now has a four-year-old son, which is incredible. Wow. Um, but they went through hell and back for years um, before they had him. And uh, anyways, I think to the friends, because it's hard to understand um, for those who haven't experienced any trouble getting pregnant or, or any health issues with your, you know, your child in any way, whether it's in utero or after they're born, you really don't know. So just, I think, try to be really, really sweet and kind and patient Mm -hmm. um, and understanding for something that's, you can't understand. (laughs) Yeah, truly. Yes. Okay. I think everybody wants to talk a little bit about sex. Um, (laughs) Always. We always want to talk about sex. I'll keep it PG ish. Um, but I think something that I've, I've read in a lot of different forums or just like different questions and most people who are, um, in, in it, like in the shit part, trying to get pregnant about sex is you, you meet somebody, you're on each other all the time. It's honeymoon phase. It's beautiful. It's sexy. It's wonderful. And then, you know, you switch gears like, okay, now we're going to start a family and it becomes so business and like, I'm ovulating. Let's do this right now. Um, (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about that and a little bit of advice on how to keep it from just being business and how to keep it still romantic? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Heavy hitting questions. I know. When we were were living in New York um, and I was going through the recovery of trying to get um, over the loss of our first baby and you know, you never really get over that, but um, it was kind of different for us in that aspect of that we were doing a lot of exploring, which is something we love to do as a couple going to different restaurants, meeting new people, going to bars. Um, and so that was kind of keeping our three, four year relationship alive. Like it was kind of new again. And I think that that helped us in the (laughs) ovulation time that we would try and plan something to do um, that was, we had never done before. And so that was kind of like keeping everything alive and like, um, keeping the magic, I guess you would say, instead of making it more business-like. But, um, there were times where I would be like, my husband would get home from work and I'd be like, okay, 
get in the bedroom. <laughs> right. This is happening. Take your pants off. Yeah. yeah. And he was Been like, there. Oh, I don't want to. Like, he was like, he's like, oh, do we have to? Um, oh my gosh. Right. And, um, and it, it, you know, those times are really funny and it would just be like, neither of us really wanted to. And we would just, get it done (laughs) right um just grin and bear it like okay this is awesome let's do this quickly (laughs) and he he hated that um which Mm -hmm. is funny for a guy to like hate their wife being like come on we're gonna do it (laughs) yeah do Um, me right now yeah yeah. what guy hates that but (laughs) But it's true we um in say October of 2018 one of my best friends was getting married in Paris and because the job that he was doing they made him take vacations. So we were like, well, she's getting married in Paris. Let's do like a little European tour thing. And we planned it kind of around when I would be ovulating. And I was like, this is it. This is the trip. We're going to get pregnant. Um, and that was very helpful for us to like, go at it like rabbits, I guess you'd say. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> like vacations are always going to be fun. Um, and I think that if you are trying and it's been a long time, maybe plan a little vacation, staycation, whatever you got to do to get out of the house. Um, and maybe do it that way. Unfortunately, it didn't work for us. We didn't get pregnant that trip. However, we had a lot of fun trying. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. It's a win. It's a win on one end. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember, I remember trying to get pregnant and, um, <laughs> I was, I became like a little bit of a psycho and I was like, Oh, you're at work. I don't really care. I'm coming there and we're going to just, you know, have a quickie. And we actually did get pregnant off of that. So oh my the psychoness works. Yeah. I was like, never forget that. He hopefully is not listening to this cause he'd be so upset. I told the story, but, <laughs> but that's how it happened. And then we have Bria. So no, I get it. And it, it does become such a singular mindset because for women, you know, every time you're like, Oh, can I have this second beer glass of wine? Can I, you know, have more coffee? And, and it makes you a little crazy and you do that for a year and that's a lot. So yes. yeah. And, and be gentle on yourselves, ladies. Like it's, it's hard. It's yeah, hard to be a woman. <laughs> I, I had everything. I got the Kendara thermometer. I was like, I was doing, taking my, um, temperature every morning. I had like all the gels and all like, I was doing the red raspberry leaf tea. I mean, I was mm-hmm. everything. I have a YouTube video about like all, everything <laughs> I was doing to try and get pregnant and nothing yeah. was working. And I, and it was stressing my husband out. So when we started IVF, I stopped all of that because I was like, there's no need that my body now is in my doctor's hands yeah. besides eating healthy, staying healthy. I was like, that's what I'll do. Right. Right. No. And I think that that's, I think there's actually an important lesson in there too, in that you're going to follow these people who have had success stories doing X, Y, or Z. And if it doesn't work for you, that can be really defeating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like knowing that everybody's story is going to be individualized and what might work for you might not work for somebody else and so on and so forth. But to give yourself the the grace and the peace. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some level and maybe talk a little bit about this. There's some level of like, even if it's, if it's subconscious of being so hard on yourself that this is your story and feeling like maybe it's you. Oh, you know, absolutely. I remember crying to my husband just being like, it, it won't 
it won't create life. And, you know, my husband was tested and he was fine. And so I was like, it's me, it's me. Um, but you can never really know, like we are, we are unexplained infertility. So we don't really know what the issue is. But as a woman, I feel like you take on so much of the blame and so much of the burden. And because not only do we feel that way, but society has made us feel that way. When in fact, a lot of, I I don't remember the specifics, but, um, a lot of it is male infertility. Um, but men don't talk about that because it's not macho to not be able to produce a child or, or whatnot. And I, and women just take on the burden so hard and, and you feel it every time you get that negative line. Yep. And it's such, such a buildup to that. Oh, I'm one day late. I think this is it. I'm going to take a test mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work and it's negative. Right. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. I am so grateful for you for sharing um, and thank you for uh, answering the questions that I asked. Um, I really think, and, and there are a lot of people out there talking about it, but I really think that what you have shared and what I've watched you go through and just on Instagram and then what you share as an artist, it really helps people. So, and, and like, even like the little things that just like talking about throwing a couple of markers at your husband's damn head because he was being an asshole. No, I'm just kidding. But like the, the real life stuff, it really, really helps humanize this journey. It ain't easy. Motherhood ain't easy. And the more women we have out there telling their stories and honoring the difficult times, the better. So seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Can you tell everybody when you're due and what your girls' names are going to be? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I am due technically November 9th, but I think that they're going to, they're probably going to be born like next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The, well, the doctors have already told me they're, they're scheduling a C-section on the, uh, 34 weeks. Um, but they, that's if I make it to 34 weeks. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So we might spend some time in the NICU, but, um, and then, so the, my names for my girls are Savannah and Sydney because when my husband and I were dating, like I said earlier, um, we used to meet in Savannah, uh, Georgia a lot. And so we, knew that we wanted to name her Savannah. And then when we realized that she had split and we are having identical twin girls, we decided on Sydney for the, for our other girl, because that is where we had our honeymoon in Sydney, Australia. Oh gosh, you guys are incredible. I am so stoked for you. I cannot wait to see when they're born and how you transition into this beautiful portion of motherhood and you're beautiful and we love you and whatever you need, we're here again. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means so much to us that you're here and we hope you walk away feeling inspired as hell. If you're not already a student in Unraveled Academy, go to www.theunraveledacademy.com. You can also access the link below. Come join us. We have a seat waiting with your name on it.